hey, I have the great privilege of sharing with you from God's Word, and I think we're off to a good start today because no one has, has quite left their seat yet, but don't worry, there is still time as the service goes on if things go south, okay? Hey, um, so good to be here. Um, want to welcome you, want to welcome those again who are watching online, and uh, I want to thank our pastors who are uh, giving me the opportunity to fill their, their pulpit for a weekend or two, and looking forward to sharing with you today. So, my name is David, in case we haven't gotten the opportunity to meet each other yet. Uh, my wife, Christian, and I came here with our twin boys, Bera and Abraham, uh, moved to the Montello area a little less than a year ago and, and started coming to Marquette Community shortly thereafter. And I have to tell you, um, we are excited. We're excited to be part of this, this faith family, and, and we know that we have found our church home and that this is where we belong. We sort of had our wilderness wandering years um, shortly before we came here, and, and we were where God wanted us, and we were doing what God wanted us to do, but we never quite got our feet planted. It never quite felt right. And then once we were here, we just had such a peace, such a contentment, and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are absolutely planted where we are supposed to be with you good folks. So we, can, we, uh, we look forward to, to growing with this body and continuing to fellowship with each one of you, and we truly are excited. Hey, um... I'm going to jump right into it this morning because we've got a lot of ground to cover, okay? Uh, before we get started, once more, can, can we just go to the Lord briefly in prayer? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord God, for your plan. Thank you for your perfect will for our lives, no matter where it may lead us. Lord God, this morning, would you move amongst us? Holy Spirit, would you anoint our ears to hear? Would you anoint our eyes to see? Would you give us hearts to receive? And Lord, would you be glorified as you bless your people and as we grow and learn and respond? And we will give you glory for it. In the name of Christ, we do pray these things. Amen. Amen. Hey, let me, let me start this morning by asking um, a bit of a redundant question. Have you ever failed? <laughs> a couple of you have. I mean, have you, have you ever set out to, to accomplish an objective or a goal and come up absolutely and utterly short didn't even get going to start with. Absolutely failed at something. If I'm honest, I guess I have to be up here today. If I'm honest, as I think back on my own experiences and in those times where I've, I've come up short, there's one time in particular that stands out more than any. One, one event, one season following that event in particular, in particular that, that was truly definitive for the rest of my life and changed me utterly and completely. 
So by way of, of giving you a, a little bit of context and, and helping you get to know me a little bit more, I, I want to share a story uh, and, and one, of, one of those experiences with you. Uh, I've had the great privilege, the great blessing. It's been my great, great honor to have served in various pastoral roles over the past 16 to 18 years or so. And I've gotten to serve as a youth pastor, which is a blast. I've, got, I've had the opportunity to serve as an associate pastor, which is really nice because you get all the perks but not nearly all the responsibility. Can I get an amen on that, Pastor Dave? And uh, I've also had the, the opportunity to serve as a senior pastor as well, and, and, and that was by far probably the coolest of, of the three experiences. And, and as an associate pastor, my wife and I, we were living in uh, Missouri, and, and we jumped on board with a church plant there, and um, it was awesome. It was awesome. We, we uh, started uh, as a group of about 10 to 12 people uh, meeting in the living room, sitting on couches, fellowshipping and sharing in the Word of God, to having our own building, uh, having Sundays within a couple years of getting started of reaching 100 plus. People were getting saved. People were getting discipled. People were getting baptized. We were sending out missionaries. We had folks going out from our church to plant other churches. And it was, it, it, it's, it's the stuff that dreams are made of for a church and for a pastor. Like, like, you're, you've, you've kind of like topped out there. You're like, this is awesome. This is as good as it gets. And things were going really great. And, and eventually my wife and I looked at each other and we said, you know what? We, we've kind of got a knack for this whole church planning thing. And, and we really like it. And God was massively blessing our ministry. I mean, it, 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 was, it was taking off. And we said, hey, let's begin to commit to prayer what God might have us do with this gifting. And so we began to pray, and we began to search, and we began to research, and we began to look. And a very, very, very long story made very, very short, we found ourselves planning Citizens Church in this absolutely crazy town where we had never been and, and really knew nothing about other than the research we had done called Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> yes! See, that, that tells me you know everything you need to know about that experience. We were from the Midwest originally, and so we thought, all right, you know, uh, we're from just outside of Indianapolis. You know, we're going to get back to good old corn-fed Midwest values where people are normal. <laughs> and it, it wasn't until later we, we learned how very mistaken we actually were living on the west side of Madison. Uh, it, it's this crazy little bubble that is, I, I'm pretty sure God picked it up from somewhere out of California and set it in the middle of the Midwest, and that's how it got there. <laughs> so we came to Madison, and, and we hit the ground running, and we 
we were excited and we had momentum and things were going and, and we had folks we went to Bible college with and, and, and people I was in the military with previously and people from all over the country who came here with us, joined in on this work with us. We got to Madison and immediately we began forming partnerships and networking with local pastors and churches and we were raising support like none other and it was Awesome. We were starting up small groups and we were meeting in different houses and we were coming together as a church. And once more, God blessed massively. And I was like, this is everything I thought it was going to be. This is working absolutely perfectly. And it did for a little while. And then we began to lose a little bit of momentum. And then things kind of slowed down. And, and, and the fire started to, to diminish a bit. And I figured, you know what, that's okay. That's, that, the, 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 that, that, initial, that initial kind of glimmer is starting to wear off. You know, we're all getting used to our roles. And this is the way it's supposed to happen. No big deal. And then as that momentum was lost... Our core team, this, this tight group of, of leaders, people I'd been friends with for many years, they began to sort of withdraw from their leadership roles. And, and me being the guy that I am and just kind of having the mentality that I do, like many of the guys in here I'm sure can relate, I was like, I can fix this. I can fix this. And so what I began to do in my schedule was absolutely non-existent at this point anyway, because it's hard work and it's demanding work to plant a church, especially in a city like that, in a city with as hard a soil as that. And I thought, that's okay. So I began to sort of, hey, you guys need a break. I get it. We need, we need some rest. We need Sabbath here. So I began to sort of fill in those gaps and try to plug those leaks a little bit. And at the time... Of course, in retrospect, re retrospect, I realized I was wrong. But at the time, I thought, this is okay. Yeah, I'm, 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 kind of, I'm kind of leaving some things on the back burner over here, like my marriage and my friendships and my relationships. But God, God certainly will take care of that because I'm devoting myself to the work of God. And what I didn't realize and what I should have known at the time was that you don't devote yourself to the work of God and expect Him to take care of things. You devote yourself to the God of that work. And everything else from there does take care of itself because you're putting first things first. And so I thought, if I just push a little harder, God will take care of my marriage. If I just push a little harder and, and, and devote a little bit more time, God will maintain these relationship, relationships with my leaders. If I just push a little harder and do what I'm supposed to be doing over here, God will preserve the church. And I found out that I was very much in the wrong. And so things began to die and things began to fade. 
The momentum was completely gone. No one was excited. No one was on mission. No one was on task. No one wanted to even do it. In fact, it had at that time become an absolute burden. And that burden far outweighed the blessing it was ever supposed to be. It had gone from being this thing that I was absolutely mad about. Like, this is amazing. To being a work that I despised. Because there was no relationship, no intimacy in my walk with the Lord, no connection with my wife, no fellowship with my core team. And there finally came a point where we said, it's, it's time. It's time. Shut the doors. Let's shut this whole operation down. And church, I have to tell you, that was absolutely traumatic for me. Absolutely traumatic. Because that was my identity. I was a pastor. I'd been a pastor. And what is a pastor without a church? What is a shepherd without a flock? And I had wrapped up so much of my identity in what I was doing and not into who I was doing it for. And I was lost. I mean, I absolutely unraveled and became undone. My identity was gone because I had staked it on the wrong thing. And that's when things got really rough. That's when the doubts came. That's when the voice of the enemy got a lot louder than the voice of the Lord. That's when the questions arose. And I, I can remember so consistently, so often, daily, I thank God for my wife because I know it had to have just been such a burden for her. I, I would think, okay, no, 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 something's, maybe, maybe we just chose the wrong city. Maybe it wasn't supposed to be Madison. No, 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 that's not it. May, no, maybe we weren't called the church plant to start with. Yeah, I just, I just got that mixed. No. Well, I must not have heard God's voice in my heart correctly. Wait, if I'm not hearing God's voice correctly, it, am I really a pastor? Because certainly a pastor should be able to discern the prompting of God. If, and if I'm not a pastor, a calling that I distinctly remember the moment God prompted my heart for the ministry, definitive, concrete in my mind. And if that is more shaky than I thought it was, what if I'm not saved altogether? And you can see the downward spiral. And you can see how the rabbit hole just got deeper and darker for me. And the questions became the loudest thing in my life. Not the voices that were reassuring me. Not my wife. Not my God. Not my friends. Not my counselors. My mentors. But that doubt and those questions. And church, I, I can't tell you how many times throughout that season, months, and honestly years that followed, where I had to remind myself, literally speak out loud to myself, 
at times, driving down the road by myself, yell out, David, you are saved. You were called to be a pastor. You belong to him. He belongs to you. You are his son. You were set aside for this work. You were supposed to be here. And you were supposed to have did what you did. How often I had to speak and preach and remind myself of those truths over my life, literally out loud. It was a hard, hard season. And just reminding myself that no matter what, and this was the biggest challenge, God is still good. No matter what, God is still good. And here's the thing, church, this struggle, this process, this destructive cycle, it's not unique to me. We all have our church plant stories, right? Yours may not be a church plant. Perhaps it is. Maybe, maybe yours is your marriage. Maybe you've made an absolute bonehead move and, and did something you shouldn't have or didn't do something you should have. And now the whole thing is off the rails. Maybe you're so far into parenting your children and you look back at some of the bonehead stuff you said and did way back when and you realize that you are planting seeds and as you look at the condition of things right now, years removed from that, you realize there's no going back. I can't undo what's been done. And you're living under the guilt of that failure. Maybe, maybe it's even something like work for you. Maybe you did something at work and, and it, it just totally threw everything off. And the company had to spend money to resolve the matter. And now you've got a reputation. You wonder if you're even going to walk into your job on Monday. Everyone knows you, not by the work that you do, but by the mistake that you made. Whatever it might be, we have all mucked things up pretty darn good somewhere along the way. And we've made a mess of it. And as overwhelming as that event feels, that one failure, that one turning point where everything goes off the rails, as overwhelming as that feels, it's just the starting point. It's it's just the tip of the iceberg because the real damage... The real damage happens in the aftermath because that's where we begin to ask the questions. That's where we begin to listen to the lies. That's where we begin to trust the wrong voices in our lives. And that's where stuff gets really, really messy. As we look to our text today, this is something the Apostle Paul was well aware of. He saw it happening in the church. He saw it happening in the church at Rome. And he spends the first eight and a half chapters of Rome talking to the church, trying to reassure them and say, listen, you know the truth. You know the truth. So let's turn there together today. Romans chapter 8, we're going to be picking up in verse 31. You can follow along up here on the screen or you can follow along in your Bible. 
And let's examine how the Apostle Paul and how God through him teaches us to respond in these seasons of uncertainty because of our failures and our mistakes. Romans 8, starting in verse 31, going through verse 36, here's the word of God. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's us. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul opens our passage today by asking a question. He says this. What are we supposed to say about all this? What are we supposed, how do we respond to these things? Well, what things is Paul talking about there? He's talking about those previous eight chapters. And in those previous eight chapters, he's trying to remind and to teach the church at Rome who was struggling that believers, the children of God, those of us who have professed the name of Christ, that believers are righteous and not condemned. That they are saved and not lost. That they are set apart for a good work, for a work of God and not for their own wills. That they are in fact not condemned and that they are in a constant process of renewal and growth. No matter what something or someone might say to the contrary in their lives. And so Paul answers That question, what shall we say to these things, with four of his own rhetorical questions. And here they are. Question number one, he says this, and these are questions that answer themselves. If God is for us, then can anyone really be against us? I mean, he's God. He's got a perfect track record. So who can really be against us? Question number two, can anyone bring a charge against God's elect? the children of God, the redeemed, the saved. Question three, can anyone actually condemn a child of God? And question four, is there anything that can separate the children of God from the Father who loves them? And we know the answer, church. Church, We know the answer, absolutely not. No, no. Because God cannot lose. So he, if he is for us and we are his, then who can be against us? Because only God can justify. Only God can justify. Because in Christ there, in fact, is not condemnation. In fact, at the beginning of this same chapter, chapter 8, Paul talks, he starts out by saying, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But God brings freedom and not condemnation. And because there is nothing, Paul says, nothing 
stronger than the love of God. And Paul goes on to affirm these truths. He says this starting in verse 37. He says, no, no, of course not. In all these things, I am persuaded. I am absolutely certain beyond a shadow of an unshakable doubt that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, not angels, not rulers, not things present, not things to come, not powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> Man, did you hear that? Nothing. Nothing. Not angels. Not demons. Not governmental powers. Not political leaders. Not even death. Not our past failures, not our present difficulty, and certainly not even the challenges that are to face us in the future. And make no mistake, they are coming. Not one of them can separate us from the love of God. Woo! That sounds really great. And of course, that is all very good and well. I mean, think about it. That is a mind-blowing truth. Examine yourself in your own life for a moment. Think about that thing that you've buried <laughs> or don't. Think about that thing that happened. Yeah, even that. God can and has through Christ's cross redeemed it. And he has justified those who have professed his name. Yes, even that thing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But church, here's the rub. Here, here's, here's the hard part. The hard part is convincing ourselves of that. <laughs> I mean, we can read the words on the page, right? And, and we see them right there. But the hard part is remembering and believing those truths, especially in the midst of that failure. And here's the reason why. Because we are our own worst critics. We are our own worst critics. Most often, our most oppositional voice is our own. More than anyone... More than anyone, we condemn ourselves. I, I will tell you this, I am uniquely talented. I have a specialty that I think I am pretty darn good at, at convincing myself what a dirtbag I am. <laughs> I mean, I'm good at it. And, and there is nothing that can change my mind. I'm, I'm that persuasive of a guy. I'm really good at convincing myself of what a terrible person I am. <laughs> We're our own worst enemies most of the time. We talk, talk ourselves into feeling like we are the failures that we experience. 
Did you hear that? We talk ourselves into feeling like we are the failures we experience. Now, don't get me wrong, church. We make bonehead choices sometimes, right? And and they are, in fact, bad choices, and there are, in fact, real consequences for those bad choices. And that should be where things sort of stop, right? There's there's redemption, there's forgiveness, there's mercy, there's grace, and, and really that should be the end of the road. Oh, no, no, no. We take it a lot further than that. And failure becomes not just something we did, but something that we are. (laughs) Mercy, grace? (laughs) No, you don't understand. I'm terrible. And the lies become truth. And this is so false. This is such a lie, and it is directly from the pit of hell, and the enemy wants nothing more than for us to believe ourselves. And here's why we do it. Because feelings are king. Feelings are king. We elevate feelings above everything else. Think about this. How many times in a day do you say, well, I feel... How many times do you feel, hear other people say that? You know, yeah, I get you, but, but I feel like feelings are king. Despite the facts, despite the truths of this, think about it. You can go to someone who, who you disagree with on a matter, but you know, and, and I'm not talking you're just persuaded. I'm talking black and white, indisputable, you know the facts and the truth. And, and you come to them and you're like, yeah, hey, look, I get what you're saying, but because they have a predisposition to feeling a way about that thing, you can show them right here, look, point one, you, you can give them a, a, an in-depth outline. Here's all the evidence. You can show it to them. Look, it's, it's indisputable, but they will Fight you tooth and nail because feelings are facts. They're at least what we've made into facts. And so we are no different from them. From the people we convince, that same mentality, that, that, that same principle is alive in wealth in us. And what we do is we usurp the truth with a lie. We usurp the facts with our feelings, and as a result, we form a fraudulent self-identity. This is the process. This is how it happens. And and church, (laughs) we have got to fight against feelings. We have got to combat feelings. There's There's a conservative commentator I listen to quite a bit, and um, he, he has a, a saying that, that I, I sort of want to hijack. I, I think we can put this in our arsenal. He says this, and perhaps this will, will reveal who this guy is. He says this, and he's very well known for it. He says, facts do not care about your feelings. You probably know who I'm talking about. Facts do not care about your feelings. 
And that is a fact. So let me remind us of the facts. God is good. God is good. God loves you. God has mercy for you. In fact, his mercies are new each and every morning, each and every moment. God says that in Christ, you are righteous. You are redeemed. Behold, the old is gone, and look, the new has come. That you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. These are the facts. Here's a fact. God says this, I know the plans I have for you. I know them because I'm the architect. Plans to prosper you, not plans to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. These are the facts. That is the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11. But in order for God to accomplish this plan in us, listen, he does, in fact, allow failure, difficulty, challenges, suffering. And in fact, doesn't just allow it. He intends it. The sovereign creator of the universe who controls all things, listen, has planned great suffering for your life. (laughs) Great. He has, in fact, intended for you to fail. Because it is through that process that he makes us like his son, Jesus Christ. God has planned and purposed failure into our lives, but what he absolutely has not, capital N-O-T, what God has not purposed and planned for our lives is that that failure would be our name, that it would be our banner that it would capture our identity and define everything that flows from that. God has purposed and planned failure into our lives. God never, ever purposed for that failure to be etched on our heart and define who we are. As I, as I look back at Citizens Church from, from the first moment that God said go to me and my wife, I mean, I, I can remember the moment we were driving back from, from Oklahoma to Springfield, Missouri, and I remember looking at my wife and saying, and I was nervous because, you know, you don't know how your spouse is going to receive it, and, and I was about to lay something big out there for her, honey, <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but God is, God is unrooting some things right now. And, and I, I think he might want us to plant a church somewhere else. And I'm, I remember my wife crying because God had been stirring the same thing in her heart. And we were just so very affirmed of the fact that we were supposed to be doing this. From that moment until the moment where we gathered as what was left of a core team at 
the back room in Olive Garden and said, it's done. From start to finish, as I reflect back on that, I praise God for killing Citizens Church. If you would have asked me there at the very end, David, can you see yourself in the future thanking God for this? Absolutely not. For this? But this, this is the whole commission. This is, this is what we're supposed to do. This is my mission. Very clearly and distinctly laid out for me and my wife. I mean, those moments are, are, are absolutely cemented in my mind. But as I look back, I say, thank you, God, for absolutely ruining it all. Because in doing so, in, in killing that church, God rejuvenated and breathed new life into my marriage. My wife and I often say, now, of course, removed from it, hindsight is twenty twenty. We were placing our marriage on the altar of ministry, and we had the knife drawn ready. Just give us the word, Lord. After all, we're doing it for the church. I praise God that he killed Citizens Church because in doing so, he breathed new life into these relationships with friends that I had had for years, with co-laborers in Christ where division had grown. And he gave forgiveness, and he gave reconciliation. I praise God for ruining Citizens Church (laughs) because he brought me into a deeper and greater intimacy with him that I had not known prior to that. I praise God for killing Citizens Church Because he showed me that my standing with him has everything to do with his character and is not dependent upon my own. My standing with God, your standing with God rests in his character and not in your own flawed character. Thank God for that. And I came to understand that the way we view God is the way we view self. And the way we view self in turn will then make up the way we view God. And guess what? That view is skewed. That view is corrupted. That view is full of error. I learned that I am who I am because he is who he is. Thank God that he is who he is. Thank God that in our failure, in our struggle, and in the season following it, and in the rabbit hole, and in the darkness, and in the moments of questioning, and in the moments of doubt, and when the enemy's voice seems to be the only thing we can hear, thank God. Praise God that He is who He is, and as a result, we are who we are, and that is that we are simply His children, righteous, redeemed, 
washed clean, no longer defined by the failure of our past. So church, in closing, let us remember the facts. Let us remember that we have overcome as we sing today and that we are more than conquerors because of who he is and because we are his. Let us remember and completely believe and give ourselves wholly over to the fact that although we may fail, and yes, we most certainly will, we are not failures. That is not our name, that is not our banner, that is not our flag. But that God in His grace will use those experiences to conform us, to shape us, to chisel away at us so that we might be like Jesus Christ. More than we were yesterday, but not quite as much as we will be tomorrow. Praise God for ruining our lives because in the process we are made more like his son. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, thank you. We praise you, God. And Lord, you know that it hurts and you know that it is hard and you know that at times we feel like we can't take one more step because we are caught and chained to our failures. Remind us, Father, that you are a God of freedom, of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness. And when the enemy comes, and when that voice and even our own voice becomes louder than yours, let us remember, let us remember, remind us, Father, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus our Lord. Help us as we go now in the name of Christ, and we'll give you glory for it. Amen. Amen, church. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you. Have a great week, and remember who you are and whose you are. Have a great week.